I wish we had that problem in here that we didn't have enough seats that you and I wouldn't have a place to sit. That'd be, be a great problem. Today we're going to talk about deliverance from spiritual captivity. That might not be something that you've ever thought much about or might not even have considered that could be possible and especially for you as you look at your own life and ponder your own circumstances. But you might find that that sermon title fits you far more than you would have ever imagined. And so our scripture today is going to come from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. I'm going to begin to read with verse 16. I'm going to read through verse 21. And Jesus is here outlining his mission, the reason that God brought him into the world. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And notice that next part of that verse. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Now, if you have any questions about what Jesus might do on a day of worship, I think it's very clear that when the day of worship was the Sabbath for the Jews, that Jesus was present in the synagogue. That was his custom. And it ought to be your custom and the custom of every person who names the name of Christ to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. As you know, after the resurrection, the first day of the week was called the Lord's day. Like we call those Chick-fil-A sandwiches. Uh, you refer to them as the Lord's chicken sandwich. Well, they referred to the first day of the week as the Lord's day. And that was the day Christians gathered together for worship. They did initially meet in the synagogue with the Jews, but it became clear that they were moving in two completely separate directions and the Jews did not accept the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the church met on the first day of the week. That was their custom. And when the writer of Hebrews wrote his book, he said, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. And he might have been thinking about the custom of the Lord Jesus. It was his custom to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. That was a sermon in, within the little parenthesis there. Verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Which it wouldn't have been too much trouble for him to find the place since he is the author of every passage of Scripture. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled it up and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all that were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, what we have to do is we look at that passage of scripture that Jesus read from, we read it in the New Testament, 
we have to go back to the Old Testament because he's reading from the Old Testament. What was the context? What was going on in the life of those people? They were living in captivity. That's where that verse comes from. People were living in captivity. They were living in captivity because they had lived distant from God. It was very much a physical captivity, but they were living in a physical captivity because of an even more serious spiritual captivity that existed in their lives. And so we come to our first point, and that is living distant from from God always leads to some sort of spiritual captivity. That's just a principle that is obvious in the scripture. Let me give you an illustration from the book of Proverbs, chapter 5, verse 22. The Bible says, His own iniquities, or we could say your own iniquities, my own iniquities, his own iniquities will capture the wicked. And he will be held with the cords of his own sin. Captured and held, that's captivity. Sin has a way of ensnaring us, entrapping us, entangling us, and enslaving us. You may not be in a physical prison as you listen to this message, but you could certainly be in a spiritual one. There's another passage of scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Paul writing to Timothy, telling him about how to be a pastor, and he said, Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will grant them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, so that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. You see, it's very possible today that somebody in this service or somebody listening to this service could be held by the cords of their own sin, could be a captive of not only sin but Satan, and be held captive to do the devil's will. Think about it. The devil wants you for his amusement. One of the saddest stories in the Old Testament is the story of Samson, that mighty man, that superman of the Bible, as you know, who was a superman that God would, the Spirit of God came upon him mightily and he was able to do things physically that no other man could do. And he, was, he had the, the potential of being a great man of God, but he was drawn away by sin, he became a captive to sin, so much so that ultimately God allowed the enemy, the enemies of his people, the Philistines, to capture Samson. And they gouged out his eyes and they made fun of him. They mocked him. The Bible says they made sport of him. There is nothing the devil would like more to do in your life or in mine 
than to make a mockery of you, to make fun of you, to see you become held captive by your own sin, entangled, ensnared, enslaved by sin, and held captive to do His will so that He could make sport of you. So the second thing that we need to say is that sin brings a captivity from which only Jesus can provide deliverance. There is no other way of escape. There is no other freedom. So Jesus said, I am come to proclaim deliverance to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed. You can make a New Year's resolution. You probably already have from time to time. And say, I am not going to do that anymore. I have some things that I'm not going to do anymore. I have some things I'm not going to say anymore. Some things I'm not going to think anymore. Some things I'm not going to watch anymore. Some ways I'm not going to live anymore. And you've not been able to keep your own resolutions. Because there is no deliverance from spiritual captivity outside the deliverance which the Lord Jesus Christ brings. You don't have the capacity to lift yourself up by your own spiritual bootstraps and bring about change in your life. So how is it that I can be free from spiritual captivity? First, you have to recognize your own captivity. That's the first step. Now these people in the Old Testament, when Isaiah was writing, they knew they were in captivity. They no longer lived in the promised land. They had been captured and carried away to a faraway land because when they were living in their own land, they lived distant from God. Before they left God in their, with their feet, left the land with their feet, they were living distant from God in their heart. And uh, you may say, well, I'm not in any kind of captivity. I'm, I deal with some things in my life, but I don't think I'm captive to them. I, I think I can stop anytime I want and turn my life around anytime I want. It's just right now I don't want to. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 34? Jesus said to you, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone. Now, he didn't say some people. He didn't say this person or that person or random people. He said, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. You're held captive by the cords of your own sin You've fallen into the snare of the devil and are held captive by him to do his will. You are living in spiritual captivity. Now, how would I know if I was a captive living in spiritual captivity? Well, here's some questions to ask of yourself. First, am I living distant from God? If you're living distant from God, then the answer is yes, you're living in captivity. Second, is there a sin that consumes me, controls me? If the answer is yes, then you're living in captivity. Third, am I free to move toward God in my heart? Or do I feel bound, chained, a prisoner to something or someone or some influence from which I can't escape? If so, then you're living in captivity. But the good news is, Jesus said, I am come to proclaim deliverance to the captives and to freedom to those who are oppressed. So first, I need to, to recognize the, my own captivity. Second, we must acknowledge the reason for our captivity. 
Now, it wasn't God's fault that these people in the Old Testament were living in captivity. They pursued sin instead of pursuing God. They walked at a distance from God in their hearts before they ever walked at a distance from God in their feet. And as a result, they were living in captivity. And God allowed it. He allowed it. And he can allow the same thing in your life. He can allow it in your life. He can allow it in your family. He can allow it in your church. And he can allow it in your nation. And that's one of the things that we'll talk about at the end of this message. It affects more than you. Your own spiritual captivity. In the book of Romans, Paul unfolds this process. In Romans chapter 1, I'll begin to read in verse 21. Paul said, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, they began to worship images and idols. And the Bible says, therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity. He allowed it. He allowed them to pursue the passion of their own heart, whatever that was. If it was to worship another God, he allowed them to pursue it. And he says, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. Verse 25, for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over. He gave them up. He released them. He allowed them to pursue degrading passions. And their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And it goes on and on as it gets worse and worse. And every time it says, and so God gave them up. He, he released them. He released them to, to, in other words, they became more and more captive more and more prisoner and they sank deeper and deeper and deeper so that the only way of escape becomes the one way of escape that God himself provides and that is the Lord Jesus Christ there is no deliverance from that lifestyle outside the Lord Jesus Christ that is spiritual captivity no deliverance without the deliverance that comes from Jesus so it couldn't it be true that some here today are living in captivity? That God has given you up to captivity, allowed captivity in your life, allowed the enemy to enslave you so that you have to say, I am living in captivity. There's still good news. And that is the mission of the Lord Jesus on that day when he opened the scroll of Isaiah and sat down and looked, and looked at all those people sitting before him who were living in captivity at that moment in their own hearts spiritually. And he said, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. I am here to deliver you from captivity. Now, number three, there are some steps that we need to take toward God in captivity. Charles Stanley said something uh, well over 30 years ago that I heard him on a broadcast say. 
I'm not uplifting Charles Stanley to be any more important or influential than any other pastor that's ever preached. But he said something on that day that got my attention and was burned into my mind and helped me so much. He said, you can never do anything to surprise God. In other words, if you walk out of this service today and fall flat on your face spiritually and wreck and ruin your life, God will not be surprised by it. God knew exactly what you were going to do. God knew exactly what Peter was going to do before he denied him. He knew exactly what Judas was going to do before he betrayed him. And God is never surprised by our failures or by our faults. He is well aware of them and plans for them. God knew his people would go into captivity. So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3, the Lord said this, So it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. When you do that, when you take those steps toward God, when you as an individual or you as a family or you as a church or you as a nation take those steps toward God, then, the Lord says, then, then I will restore you from captivity. And have compassion on you and gather you again from all the peoples where I have scattered you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. Doug and I was talking, we're talking this morning about young people. You know how a young person sometimes will make it up in their mind. They grow up in church and they leave home and they go away from their parents and they decide to go and live however they want to live and do whatever they want to do and say nobody's going to tell me where I can go and where I can be and when I have to be home. And before long, they wind up like the prodigal in the story of the prodigal son who went out and basically wanted to live that way and didn't want to be around his own father and he wasted everything he had and spent it all and wound up enslaved not only by his sin, but he became a slave to a pig farmer. And he came to his senses and he said... I have a father at home and what I'll do is I'll get up and I'll go to my father and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But he didn't just think that. He didn't just say that. He got up and he took steps toward home. And that's exactly what has to happen in our lives. We have to take steps toward God. And when we get there, we will find God saying, I knew what was going to happen to you. I was fully aware of what you were going to do. I am not surprised by any fault or failure in your life, by any sin in your life. Here I am, come home. I've got a robe for you. I've got shoes for your feet. I've got a ring for your finger. Let's rejoice and be glad that now you're home. God wants you home. That's the mission of Jesus, to bring you home, to restore you from captivity. But you have to take steps toward God. You have to hear his call and take steps. Finally, we have to understand the corporate nature of captivity. You know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The reason their story is in the Bible is because they were living in captivity. You say, I thought they were fine young men. What were they doing living in captivity? Because when their daddies 
went into captivity, into the captivity of sin, they took their children with them. And the impact of their spiritual captivity carried their children into physical captivity. There's a corporate nature to captivity. In other words, when daddy steps outside the will of God and goes into captivity and becomes a captive to sin and Satan, it has an impact on his family. And he often takes his wife and his children with him. And sometimes it has a generational impact on that family. And you know it to be true. You've seen it in this community. Not only so, when church leaders step outside the will of God and get entangled in sin and held captive by the devil, it impacts the church that they attend and the whole church that they attend. There's a corporate nature to the captivity. It infects the whole church and it can also infect a whole nation as I think it has infected ours. We may not be living distant from the land, but we're living distant from God. And as a result, we're seeing the unfolding of a captivity that's coming upon our nation. Now, there's only one remedy for that. Daniel, like Jesus picked up the scroll of Isaiah, Daniel apparently had the scroll of Jeremiah. And he was also aware of the book of Deuteronomy. But as he read the book of Jeremiah, Daniel said, you know, we're only supposed to be here 70 years. What are we doing still here? Why are we still here? And this is what he said in Daniel chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet... We have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and by giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Now, while I remind you that the Lord wants to deliver us from our captivity if I don't recognize it and I have no desire for deliverance and I don't take steps toward God and cry out to him for deliverance, neither me nor my family nor my church nor my nation will be delivered. God will keep it in store. And it will, as you saw in the book of Romans, it just gets deeper and darker and deeper and darker until somebody finally says, what are we doing sitting in this mess? It's time for us to cry out to God. A verse that's intrigued me since I was a young person, I've always thought about it, is Job 42.10. The Bible says, and I'll let you come to your own conclusion about everything that it means because it's related to the book of Job, but this is what it says. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. When you go into captivity, 
You always take somebody with you. You've seen that happen. One young person goes into sin, they draw another person into sin with them. One man goes into sin, he draws his family or even another man with him. But the other side of that is, when you answer God's call to be free from that captivity through the Lord Jesus Christ, you will bring somebody else with you who is watching your life. And they will say, if the Lord can deliver him, perhaps the Lord can also deliver me. Let's pray.